Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden and Sam Chamberlain. Welcome back to the Food of Faith podcast in the season of Coronatide. Um, our next, we are so glad to have you along. And our next guest is, I'm going to tell you a backstory before I introduce her. So Anna writes me a text in the middle of nowhere. I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in my office just doing some work. And all of a sudden she's like, you'll never guess who we got. And I'm like, well, who? And she tells me who our guest is. And I'm like, well, let's put it this way. I said words that shouldn't have been said in a, uh, in a pastor's office because <laughs> I was so excited. I'm like, I'm not sure how you pulled this off, but we are so glad and so enthusiastic to have Jerusalem Greer with us today. Jerusalem is the staff officer for evangelism in the Episcopal Church in the office of the presiding bishop, which means you get to work with many of our listeners, one of our listeners' favorite humans in the world, um, Bishop Curry. Um, and you are also a member of the Way of Love creation and leadership team. She lives with her husband and two teenage sons on a hobby farm in rural Arkansas. As a family, they're attempting to live a slower version of modern life. And as we all know, sometimes that works out beautifully and sometimes it works out, but still beautifully in its own way. Jerusalem is also a speaker and occasional blogger and author of At Home in This Life, Finding Peace at the Crossroads of Unraveled Dreams and Beautiful Surprises, and a homemade year, the blessings of cooking, crafting, and coming together, as well as several curriculums. And so for those of you who want to look up and follow along while we're doing the interview, you can read more about her at JerusalemGreer.com and learn more about her work with evangelism at EpiscopalChurch.org slash evangelism hyphen initiatives. That's EpiscopalChurch.org slash evangelism dash initiatives. So I have run my mouth with enthusiasm, but Jerusalem, it is such a joy to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And y'all might have been very excited to to get me on the show, but I am a total fangirl of your show. So it was a huge honor to be invited. We can just all have fun, you know, fangirling after (laughs) each other with others. Some of us are fanboying. (laughs) Fanboying, yes, that too. (laughs) Um, Fanning in general, whatever that, what the neutral, gender neutral terms are for it. Um, But we really, it's really, it's a joy because I think we all have very similar questions that we are asking and yet from different contexts and backgrounds. So we're really looking forward to hearing your perspective, Jerusalem, on some of these, these questions. So as you know, since you do listen to our show, we always start by asking about your geography, those places, foods, music, people, culture that has shaped you um, in your life as a whole and in your world right now. So Give us a glimpse into your geography. Yeah. Um, so growing up, my father was a Southern Baptist minister, and um, he was great at the preaching part and a little less great at the pastoral part, which meant that we moved a lot. Because um, <laughs> you know how that goes, right? Like the people part is also important. Um, and he would have said all this. This is all known to him as well. So we moved a lot. So my parents are originally from Arkansas, or at least that's where they, they met in high school, um, got married and started their life together. But then we lived all over. We lived um, in Florida and Tennessee. And then my adolescence was spent in Southeast Alaska, in Juneau, Alaska. And that's where I spent, um, I guess I was about 12 when we moved there. And then I was 19 when I left to come back to Arkansas to go to college. Um, and so that, those kind of the, the beaches of Florida and, you know, always coming back to Arkansas for vacations and those sorts of things. And then um, Southeast Alaska were the, the big geographies of my childhood and um, especially, you know, and, and very different. I mean, we literally moved from Florida to Alaska, <laughs> yeah. which is just a huge, you know, totally different, um, geography and way of life and perspective and um, definitely moving to Alaska was a little bit like moving to a foreign country culturally um, in a lot of ways it's very different and especially um, being a Southern Baptist preacher's kid moving there and mm. um, it's you know it is not your typical um, well it's not Southern in any way so so that was very it was different but it was beautiful and that it um, really did open my eyes up to 
that there's a way of living in the world outside kind of the little bubble that I had been raised in up until mm-hmm. that point. Um, you know, we went from a, a mega church that had a youth group of like 300 people to um, this little bitty church in Juneau where I was like one of three people in the youth group, right? So <laughs> it's totally, oh, right. And we went from like flip-flops to wearing these things called moon boots. Um, <laughs> So just huge, hugely different. And uh, Southeast Alaska has a very Pacific Northwest feel about it. Um, So if you've been to Seattle, Portland, you kind of get the vibe. Like that's a, it's a very similar vibe in Juneau. Um, But then I moved back down. I I always loved Arkansas. So even as a kid, um, Arkansas was always my favorite spot. If you've never been to Arkansas, it is one of the most beautiful states. We kind of think it's like this little hidden secret. it's called the natural state. And I used to joke before Corona to hide as I've started calling it, um, that, um, we have everything, we have all the natural resources here to survive an apocalypse. Um, and I would just tell everybody, so if that ever happens, come here, but now that's sort of happening. So, you know, like, don't so come you're here. Like, don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> don't come here. No, don't, don't do it. Um, so anyway, but yeah, it's a beautiful state. There's like five different geographical regions, including the Delta, the Ozarks, um, and where we live and where my grandparents lived in the part of Arkansas I was raised in um, is really the River Valley area or and right at the foothills of the Ozarks, which is where we currently live now on our little hobby farm. So lots of rolling green hills and beautiful trees, um, all kinds from oaks to evergreens. We have loblolly pines. Um, and so we even have like an ice cream shop here called Loblolly. So Loblolly is a huge thing. People name their dogs after it. And um, we have like award-winning state parks. Um, so anyway, Arkansas is just naturally very beautiful, but very diverse geographically. And this has just always been the, pl- I've always been drawn to, like ever since I was a little bitty kid, even though I lived all over the country. Um, and now that I travel under normal circumstances all over the country, um, as part of my job, I... I still think it's the most beautiful place I've ever been. I just can't get over how gorgeous and green um, it is. And so, so definitely the South. I mean, I'm a Southern girl. I have been, again, even Pacific Northwest, right? And they just couldn't shake it out of me. Like they could not, I mean, I wore flannel, right? And I learned how to drink, you know, fancy coffees and um, all of those things have definitely um, informed who I have become but at my heart like I want fried chicken and I want free range other uncooked free range chickens in my yard um and I want to drive a beat up old white truck and wear overalls and um I love the music when I it was so funny I discovered bluegrass music in college when I moved here um and all of my friends were like why are you listening to that? Cause they were all from Arkansas and to them. That was like the old hillbilly music, right? That like their grandparents listened to. And huh. I was like, this is amazing. Have you heard this? And uh, cause I didn't grow up around it. Right. Like I just did not grow up with that sort of stuff. So um, yeah. They are, so, they are some of the most talented musicians in the world. Right. Like, Thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who you I like? Like, uh, well now I'm old. And so I don't know. <laughs> So I still like Allison Krauss and Union Station and Bela Fleck and Chris Thiele and right. Like I still like yeah. the people I liked when I was 23 because I'm old and I haven't kept up. So I don't know who's new. Um, but then I also love like Jason Isbell and the high mm. women and oh, yeah. I'll be a Dixie chick fan till I die. I mean, this <laughs> is just the reality. This is who you're dealing with. Um, love it. Anna, so, we don't get enough this. We don't get enough of this kind of talk on the pod. I just want to go know, on record right now. More. I know we need yeah. we need more bluegrass. We need more beat up white trucks. All right, <laughs> <laughs> bring it, bring it on. Yeah. Um, so, so that's it. That's it's like a funny mixture of southern with like a twenty percent Pacific Northwest. I love it. Yeah, and yeah. now you live literally on a little farm. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, uh you know, bring the, the, uh, zoom in (laughs) onto, uh, your immediate geography. And how did that come about? How long have you been in that particular piece of land? Walk us around your farm. Awesome. Yeah. So if you had asked anybody who knew me growing up, if I would be the farm girl, they would have laughed. I'm the most non-naturey person. Like I don't understand hiking. Where are we going? 
Is there like a Starbucks at the end? If you tell me there's something <laughs> at the end, but if we're just going to the top to turn around and come back, I don't understand it. Right. Like I'm, I'm not your typical nature girl. Um, but in college I was, I worked at a camp here in Arkansas. And for some reason, the camp director put me in charge of the nature hut. I don't know why. I think it was the Holy spirit. That's the only thing I have to go on. And I fell in love with caring for animals. We had goats and there was a really cranky, lonely donkey and um, lots of turtles. I don't know. It was whatever they could find, right? Whatever they could kind of gather to this nature hut. And I think that was one of the first seeds that was like planted in me. So now fast forward about 10 years and I discovered Phyllis Tickle, the writer Phyllis Tickle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my husband, Nathan, one Christmas, he, he went into what it, it's defunct now but it was like the only episcopal bookstore like in arkansas and he said and this is way before we were episcopalians this is like 20 years ago and he said my wife likes this author named phyllis tickle and i think she's episcopalian do you have any books by her and 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 the sweet book lady was like oh my gosh yes and she took this whole shelf right so he bought me the farm and lucy series Mm -hmm. Um, and in the foreword to those books, Phyllis talks about this moment when she and Sam knew that it was time to take their kids to the land and like get out of the city and, and get and teach them these things. And at that point, I think we had a couple of little boys, you know, our boys were babies and I just started weeping. Mm-hmm. Like it was one of those moments where I didn't know where it came from. Like it was so outside, you know, me um or what I thought and so and I showed it to him and he got really emotional like I read it out loud and it so that that was the first moment where we felt call like that was the call moment it would take us another 10 years from that and from that moment to when we would actually get to move here where we are now And and a lot of heartbreak and a lot of questioning and a lot of did we really hear that call like right you know maybe with that we were just trying to stitch something together out of nothing because so so anyway long story we eventually do we now live on eight acres um in outside of about 45 minutes north of little rock um at the at the foothills of the ozarks so lots of um not plateaus lots of plateaus around here a lot of farmland um a little community outside of greenbrier arkansas if you know arkansas at all you'll know that um, and so we have this, we have a corner lot. We're in one of those funky, most people in our neighborhood, like a lot of these houses were built in the seventies and, and there were plots of 20, between five and 20 acre plots. Right. And then some have more, some have less. And um, luckily we're on a, we're on a street that has not sold everything off to developers, which is nice. We're, we have, you know, don't have house farms yet. Um, and our property is completely surrounded. Um, our, we have a tree line, lob lolly farm. And then in the middle, there's a mixture. We have a big pond um, that has a rotting dock <laughs> that needs fixing. Um, and then we Oh, it's a real have, farm that has things farm. that need yeah. fixing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's the one thing. I'm like, this is not Martha Stewart's farm. Um, and then we have probably about five acres worth that are probably more pastury. There used to be a huge orchard here and there's about five or six trees left. Most of them are overgrown. We've salvaged about three, but apparently the majority of the property used to be orchard. And then, then a couple of acres on the behind the house, the house is kind of a divider is where all the animals are. And like I said, we've got um, pygmy goats and a mini pig. That's not really mini, but it's not a hog, right? Like mini goats aren't a real thing just sorry to bust anybody's bubble out there. <laughs> they, anyway, the ones you see on Pinterest, they don't stay that small unless you starve them. Thank um, you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Not ethical and they're cute, but they get big. They're going to be the size of a lab and um, just wrap your head around it. Mm. And if you're going to get one um, and then we have barn cats and um, outdoor dogs and an indoor dog and huge gardens. So we have, we have um, a couple of, garden plots they're about 5,000 square feet each that we do vegetables and flowers in and then another and then a third one that's a pumpkin patch um in the in the fall that we do a pumpkin patch and invite people out to and we try to do like heirloom pumpkins um in it so and we have chestnut trees or Chinese chestnut trees oh wow so if you've never been around chestnut 
burrs, I really think they should be the weapon of choice. Um, they're pretty nice. <laughs> yes, I, I totally agree. So, yeah. So we've got a fixer upper house that we're working on and a barn that's a disaster. It's really more of a shop, but we call it the barn because that's more romantic. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I have never amened an Episcopalian as much as I'm just amening you right now. <laughs> It might you be her Southern right Baptist there. background that you're amening. You never say, know. I was like, yeah, as a as someone else who's a convert from the Southern Baptist, um, and uh, and somebody who has found their way back to farm life. I grew up on a dairy farm, but finding my way back to back to farm life and rediscovering just the beauty that's there. Um, I just thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for your story. And yes, the pigs and the goats—they all get big. So, um, but but another thing I think we share. Um, and I was as I was going across your website, you described yourself as a liturgical convert. Um, and that that language just really spoke to me. Um, but I, I'm I'm interested to know what does that mean for you, and how has that how has that conversion to liturgy? I suspect not just in a church context, but it sounds right. to me like in a life context, how that has manifested itself in your own spirituality and in the work you do. Yeah. Well, the first thing people always want to know is how did you become an Episcopalian? And I'm like the liturgical calendar. It was my gateway drug. I mean, it is how I found my way in. Um, and Phyllis Tickle was a huge part of that. I um, mean, those books were a huge part of that. And yeah, so I, when I discovered, so here's the thing. So I've always loved nesting, like fluffing the house, remodeling, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've been a church nerd my whole life, love church, love theology, love the work of the church and church work, right? Which are two separate things, but I have always been passionate about both of them. And I could never figure out how to marry those two sides of me. Like it seemed, you know, like basically the Martha Stewart side of me and then this, this church nerd side of me and, and felt bad about the Martha Stewart side of me, like that it was somehow like frivolous and I don't know, not serious, right? Like pink's not a serious color. My first book is pink. And anyway, so so when I discovered the liturgical calendar and liturgy as a whole and, and then monastic and, you know, it's just like pulling a thread on a sweater, I learned that all of those things are that you can and other like throw a big party that's beautiful and symbolic and point you back to Jesus, mm. right? That you can like celebrate and make a banner to hang in your house or set a table or plant a garden um, or have a big feast, a big meal that can have these really beautiful, life-sustaining, nourishing, um, spiritual truths to them and can connect you back to it, you know, in your everyday life and that the two don't have to be separate and that what we do to, to create these moments of significance or remembrance, um, can be both beautiful and holy and they don't have to be separate. And, um, and so that was really, I mean, that's when I discovered the liturgical calendar, I was just blown away. Cause I was like, there's more than Christmas and Easter. I know. Right. <laughs> I could have more yep. parties. Yeah. <laughs> Feasts even feasts. Right. And they yes. mean things, right. Yes. And they, but then also like you can lament and it doesn't always have to be happy. And then, I mean, I can like wax on about the liturgical calendar and how it can change your life for hours because it just like the first half is all about, you know, why we believe. And then the second half is all about how we actually go out and try it. And then we all get a do over and we get to start again in Advent. And if you didn't do it right last year, it's okay. Cause there's next year. That's one of my favorite thing about new Episcopalians is, you know, they'll like we had a, a couple in our church and they, they had to miss blessing of the animals and, mm. and they were, they had been evangelicals. And I said, don't worry, it'll happen again next year. And they were like, right. oh, <laughs> oh, next year. Oh, we'll do this again. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. So the blessing of ordinary things, um, the connecting of what we work so hard to do all year long and um, to a, bigger meaning to love to working that love out to living and moving and moving and having our being inside that love is really what the liturgical calendar and liturgy is all about um and i just get really nerdy about that i love it you're in the right place as we gather on the day of ascension you know like this is a feast day that's right <laughs> this is a feast day that's right this is part of the celebration <laughs> 
well, and I think there's something that um, is, you know, maybe it's just who Sam and I hang out with, but it feels like when you're looking at the intersection of food and faith, it's very connected to the liturgical year and the intersection of the sacred and the ordinary, right? That, that this is, it's, they're similar intersections and they're saying, Hey, this thing that we're doing every day, like eating or growing our food or whatever it is, is part of this bigger sacred rhythm of life and, and the way of God at work in the world. So I love it. I mean, this is not a surprise. <laughs> um, so we uh, connected the other week because we were both on a webinar uh, and you um, we were both listening to a webinar and you jumped on and talked about something that I we had already heard about from our good friend Maria Love Parrish, who is, uh, you know, been, she was our very first guest and is um, very good friend of both of, of ours. Um, and you said there's this thing called Good News Gardens. And I had the same res response when you said it as I did when Maria told me about it a month or so ago. And I just have been excited about it ever since. And when Maria told me, I was like, oh, that's really cool. You're doing that in Michigan and, and great. And I'm cheering you on. And then when you said it, I went, wait, could I be part of this too? So will you tell us about Good News Gardens? and? Um, and I don't actually honestly even know the backstory. Like I, I, everyone's busy. Like Nuri and I haven't actually talked about this. I just know what's happening like online. So tell us, tell us about Good News Gardens. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So my day job, in addition to, you know, all this thinking that I do about liturgical living at home, my day job is I'm the staff officer for evangelism for the Episcopal Church. So one of the other things I think about a lot is about good news. And what does the good news of God in Christ, the good news of God's love of Jesus, what does it look like, sound like, taste like, feel like um, to various people? And how do we get that message out there? So that's one piece of like how my brain works. Another piece is that I was a history major in college. And my kind of area of interest was like domestic World War II, um, how people really like live through that season domestically. So of course, victory gardens, right? They're like right there forefront of how my brain works. And I live on a farm. So you kind of have those three things together. And we've had lots of calls um, and, and lots of discussions at the churchwide level that I work in about what's the good news that people need right now, right? Like what are some of the, what's some of the tangible ways that we can share good news? What are people hungry for spiritually as well as physically? Um, those sorts of things. And I was literally standing in my garden talking about these things with my husband. I think we were planting or preparing or something. And it, and it really kind of, I had one of those moments where everything just synthesizes. And I thought, what if we did something that was like Victory Gardens um, and sen in the sense of calling everyone together with a purpose, but that was about sharing good news, that was about um, coming together with our gardening efforts, because we knew, like just keeping, and you guys have probably seen this, just keeping track of what's going on in the agricultural world, that like seed companies were selling out like crazy. Yeah right? I mean, even our stuff got put on back order, some of ours. And one website that we order like heirloom stuff for even shut down temporarily mm -hmm. um, because they didn't know how to handle the flood and they like needed to take a pause right, yeah. and figure it yeah. out. And so, you know, so we knew, like I knew that gardening was already up, that people were already digging into that, that I wasn't the only one who thought, hey, we better get out there and really plant extra this year because we don't know what food shortages are going to look like yeah. um, moving forward. And then, and the other thing I thought was we can all plant more, right? Like, like even us on our farm, we can plant more than we would normally plant um, for a purpose. And so it just kind of got started talking. And, and the first thought that I thought was good news gardens, because that's how I think about good news all the time, right? And so I emailed Nuria and Brian Sellers-Peterson and a few other people that you guys probably know kind of in the faith and food world to say, is anybody doing this? already and um, what do you guys think about this idea and Nuria said we're doing something similar in Michigan can I steal the name <laughs> <laughs> and I was 
like, take it, run with it. I don't know if we're going to do anything else with it. And if we do something with it, you can be a part of that too. Uh, she's like, great. And, and so, um, so yeah, so just kept talking to people and it just bubbled up. I was on another call. So I'm in the evangelism department. I was on a call with Melanie Mullins in our creation care department. Um, and we were talking about some other projects and I mentioned this to her and she was like, this would be a great partnership between our two departments. We don't need to be so siloed, you know, creation care is good news. Right. And I'm like, yes, it is. Amen. Sister preach. And so we really started looking at what it would be. So, so what good news gardens is, is it's a movement in the sense of, it's just people coming together and really anybody can be a part of it. The Episcopal church is hosting it. Um, but you don't have to be, you know, Episcopalian to participate. And there's, we're just asking that people commit to three different things and then, um, to sign up, to commit to these three things. And then, um, and then in exchange, you'll get some resources, you'll get joined with other people who are doing it. Um, but it's just really a way to bring us all together in order to share good news in a variety of ways agriculturally. I love it. So, I mean, I have the sign up form pulled up and I will be doing it for my own little back porch container garden Yay. slash currently mostly still on the windowsills inside. Cause it's, we, it was 37 degrees last night, which we hope is our like last cold, but um this is why i'm not going to the northeast I know. <laughs> but the dogwoods are beautiful <laughs> yeah there is that <laughs> um but i um i love that the scope of it and that you said that this is this movement where with in my little you know urban suburban neighborhood i can do it my little container garden in our outside of our apartment building because I can't talk, you know, I can't put a garden in the lawn because it's not my lawn to put a garden in, but I can, I can grow because a little more, um, I can be part of this because the commitments are to plant, pray and proclaim. And I would love you to talk a little bit more about that, but under the planting, I like this, love this commit to planting more than you would under average circumstances in order to share the bounty. Um, and we, are loving that we're partnering with our neighbors upstairs to do our container gardens this year. So we kind of expanded and we're already talking about, there's a feeding program at our school church down the street. And we're like, okay, let's, you know, we, we can't grow a lot. We have little containers, but we're going to really go with the, um, the herbs, especially because you can, you can grow a lot of basil in some containers and there's some things that you can grow a lot of. So, um, but so I could do it in my small setting, but it's all the way up to farms, right? So, you know, what Nuria is doing in, in Michigan is actually providing starts and materials and training because Plainsong Farm has greenhouses and they have this, this bigger scale um, or church gardens or anything in between. So there's something that was just really beautiful and appealing to me that um, it's something for everybody and that we all can do a little bit. But there's that camaraderie because I, I mean I think we've all seen this you know everyone's baking sourdough bread and planting gardens and both are fine but the second one to me seems like the important one for us all to focus on <laughs> um, so could you walk our listeners through a little bit more and we'll put all these links in the show notes but could you tell us a little bit more about these three areas yeah yeah so um so plant, you did a great job. Yeah, just committing to planting more than you would. And this could mean starting when you've never planted before, right? So that could just be the first thing. And really, even we've even said like a window box of flowers, if you live in an urban area, if you've never done that before, that's a sign of hope to someone, right? Yeah. Is just to see the natural beauty. So, so however, whether it's herbs that you can share or, you know, adding an extra hen to your flock so that you have more eggs to pass on to somebody else to just planting some flowers or some trees or something that's going to add some beauty to someone's day. And so that's the first one is plant. The second one is pray. And we're just asking people to commit to pray daily um, for um, our church or their church and the world um, to really form better, healthier, loving, liberating, and life-giving relationships with all of creation. Um, because probably why we're in this situation is that we haven't done, we haven't been great stewards in a lot of instances, right, of creation. And, um, 
And so we just would like for people just to kind of pray um, for that, for the, for better relationships, for that to be revealed um, and for the nourishing of our lands and the people who work on our lands. And we're going to be sending emails with, with different prayers and prayer prompts to anyone who signs up. So if you don't know how to pray for that, don't worry. We got you. We got you covered. Um, and then the third one is proclaim. And um, we really feel like, again, that the evangelism, the good news piece is that we commit to proclaiming the love of God through word and example by sharing um, this movement with other people, by sharing the progress, by sharing stories of why we're doing this. So for instance, if you're like planting your herb garden or your herb pots, right, taking pictures of it, putting it on social media and saying, we're so excited to get these herbs started so that we can share them, you know, with our food pantry down the street and show God's love that way. Like just little verbiage um, showing it, hashtagging it and um, the good news garden movement and just to proclaim the good news, to tell the good stories. Um, because right now there's so many bad stories. We feel like these are signs of hope and these are the good stories. So yeah, so those are the three. And of course I had to alliterate because I have Baptist DNA. And so it works. I proclaim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Well, that's very exciting. And we will put it in the show notes um, where people can sign up. And um, we'd love to have a whole podcast, Food and Faith podcast, you know, spread out team of good news gardens that will will join this movement. Um, and I think it's it's true that like if you already planted your garden you know, it can be a good news garden, right? You know, you can jump in anytime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really just dedicated. Fun. Yeah, just dedicate it to this movement. And, and whatever that means, maybe that means like you bake a pie with berries off your bushes and take it to someone instead of just eating the pie for yourself, right? And that's the way you share. Um, but again, that everyone, even if you've already planted, you can join in the praying, you can join in the proclaiming, you can join in the sharing. So yeah, wherever you are. It. And what I hear, I mean, I, I just, I love it um, because anybody who has done, whether it's a container garden or worked on, you know, or larger scale farms, I mean, has found joy and good news in that work. Um, it is mixed with a ton of hard work, but there is good news there. And, and, you know, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, growing up in a background where evangelism had a particular understanding. To hear a staff officer of one of the major mainline denominations in the United States, at the very least, um, talk about evangelism in a very different way, um, I think is really useful and really important in this moment. And so, what is it, like, how, how, how is this evangelism? Like, help, help our folks, like, wait a second, I thought evangelism was you go out and you tell people, you know, it's, do you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, which is, you know, a, a wonderful thing. We hope, you know, that's all great. But like, but you have a very different idea of what evangelism looks like, especially in this moment. And so I wonder as a staff officer, if, if you could paint a different picture for our listeners of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly how I grew up, right? I mean, to as a kid, like my understanding of evangelism was knocking on doors and trying to convince people to join our team. Um, that was really, you know, our, our understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. That was just really the whole, the whole ball game. And what I love about this moment, what I love about in particular, a little bias about the Episcopal approach to evangelism in this moment, um, is that it's really about, um, seeking and naming and celebrating where we see God at work in our lives and the lives around us within creation and then telling those stories and inviting people to share their stories with us and then finding in the sharing of those stories and the seeking and the naming and the celebrating like oh God's here God's with us God's good I want to dig into this a little more like I want to understand this goodness a little more or I want to share this goodness a little more but it's not really worried about convincing anyone or converting anyone. It's, it's more of just about lifting up um, and digging into where we already see God at work um, and sharing those stories. I mean, I just think we all know relationship is really where transformation happens and, and kind of the point of evangelism, I, I think, and I think this is kind of, you know, within how we talk about it is it's really about helping people experience transformation, find belonging, and find liberation um, through the love of Jesus. And, and then going forth and sharing more of that, like, you know, like going into a field and, and, and spreading the seed. So 
So yeah, so it, it is different. And I, so I think Good News Gardens is a way to, A, you're experiencing God's goodness through your hard work, through the harvest, um, through the relationships that you make as you do this work. Um, whether it's a Facebook group where you're talking about gardening or if it's in a community garden where you're actually building friendships with people and then sharing those stories and being like, you know, God met me in the garden and this is what I've experienced. And, you know, it's like, it's like sharing a great pie. Like you just, you just want to offer it to people. Um, I love this pie. You need to have a piece of this pie. <laughs> and it's, and it's so rooted in grace because the presumption is, is that God is already there. We don't have right? to ask God to show up. God has already showed up. We just, we just need to become aware of that presence. And so just as, as someone who needs God's grace <laughs> in remarkable ways to have somebody say, I see grace in your life is, is a remarkable step and that God is already there. And so thank you for that. That's, that's yeah. really helpful and really encouraging when it feels like there are no good stories to share, looking inward, looking in our communities and discovering the good stories that are present and that are emerging is that's a way better sense of evangelism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We think so. I think so. <laughs> I couldn't do it if it, I mean, I, I couldn't have this job if it was a different version. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. Indeed. <laughs> Well, and that already thereness of God, I think shows up in your writing as well. And in this idea of the sacred in the ordinary and your work looks at this liturgical calendar. It looks at these, these rhythms. Um, and I would love to hear a little bit more about how your books speak to this particular season that we're in and this particular season where many of us are at home and we are in our homes, maybe more than we are used to being in our homes. Um, and yeah, what are some of the things that you have been discovering for yourself and as you're in conversation with people who are trying to remember the sacred in the ordinary? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, because we are stuck at home. <laughs> I wrote two books with the word home in their title, um, never imagining that we would be in this moment, right? And that home would suddenly become so central to every part of our life, like to our work, to our school, to our worship, um, the whole nine yards. I mean, it's just, it's just everything right now. It's our it's literally home base. Um, so yeah, so my first book is um, A Homemade Year, and it goes through the liturgical um, calendar with recipes and ideas for gatherings um, and crafts, um, but with, with stories and reflections in every chapter. So it's not like a pure cookbook or a pure crafting book. Um, it's, there's a huge narrative thread that runs through it where I share my own story. Um, and, you know, it's, it's definitely about how to do faith at home, how to connect to these liturgical traditions at home and beyond Christmas and Easter, that there is sacred and ordinary um, in the ordinary, and that we have all these fun feast days um, that allow us to do different things and to think about different um, aspects of God and and different saints or people who've gone before us in their lives and and are, can be a really good excuse to to eat some really good food or you know um, one of the ones that'll be in the summer is Saint James Day, which is a great one for seafood. Um, and so we do a shrimp boil or try to, you know, um, and it's not Episcopal centric because I was not an Episcopalian yet when I wrote the book and I wrote it as someone who was coming from a non-liturgical background to the liturgical calendar. Mm. Um, so if someone's new to the liturgical calendar, um, it'll be super friendly to you. You won't, there's not a lot of insider language because I was writing it like, and this, I give a little history to every one of them too, right? Like this is where this came from. This is the tradition mm -hmm. and it's a mixture. So it's, it's anybody who knows the liturgical calendar knows that everybody has a little bit different skew on it. Right. Um, and so I really looked at everybody. I looked at Lutherans. I looked at Catholics. I looked at Episcopalians. I looked at Methodists, all these different traditions and um, worldwide. Like I looked at traditions in Spain, traditions in Mexico, that kind of thing mm. um, to really try to bring together these ideas. And so I think that's a good one. If you're, if you're looking for some ways to do faith at home um, and to mark time, because I know we're all having a hard time yeah. <laughs> marking time right now. Um, there's some great, I think there would be some good things in there that you could say, you know, we're going to stop and we're going to do this. And 
The other thing is that I always like to say about the liturgical calendar observance is, and there's some people that would absolutely disagree with me, but you don't have to be hardcore about making sure it's on the right day, right? Like today is Ascension Day and tradi like our tradition when we can was to have people out to fly kites. Nice. And, you know, <laughs> the roosters have come to visit. Yay. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's our first rooster on the podcast. That was amazing. My heart is full. <laughs> it's much better than the construction workers outside yeah. of my house. I love our, it. Our chickens are free range and they don't understand social distancing or podcasting. So, um, yeah, so, so we'll have them. That is amazing. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like, so I would say like, celebrate Ascension Day within the week or two around Ascension Day, right? So like, don't get your knickers all in a wad about missing the actual date or whatever. Like, it's okay. Have some fun with it. Um, Pentecost, you know, is coming up and I'm like, make spicy foods, like have tons of fire, like, you know, just make a lot of spicy food so you can have fun with it and, and laugh and, and then learn about the traditions while, while you're doing it. Um, yeah, they're going to be very chatty for a minute. Um, and so that's, that's that one. That's a homemade year. So it's liturgical, um, rhythm. It's at home. It's lots of recipes. We're all cooking right now. There's a bread recipe in there. If anybody's cooking bread, everybody's baking. <laughs> everybody's cooking bread. There's jelly recipes. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and the fun one about that one is you can pick it up and put it down and pick it up and put it down because it goes throughout the, the year. Right. So you can start it at any point. It's not like, you could buy it now and start with Pentecost um, and nice. then work your way through the book that way. Cause the story isn't linear. Um, so the other book is um, at home in this life. And it's the one I think is particularly relevant right now because I wrote it um, when about a year when our whole life fell apart, like mm. everything went wrong. Um, the first farm we tried to buy, we couldn't buy our dog died. Our, chickens were killed like I broke my foot like it was just this crazy year when everything went wrong and we were not where we wanted to be mm -hmm. right and it was like all busted plans that sounds very familiar right now yep um and I had to learn how to make myself at home in the life I had instead of the life I wanted yeah and I used two frameworks to do that one of them were the verses in Jeremiah 29, four through 14, where, you know, the Israelites are hanging out in Egypt. They're mad. They're or Babylon. They're in captivity and they don't want to be there. And they're complaining constantly. I don't know if that sounds like anybody right now. <laughs> they don't uh, even have Facebook to complain on. No, they didn't even have Facebook and they're just complaining and they don't want to be here and they don't like it. And the food is weird and everyone's rude and they're not wearing their face mask right like yep. like it was just trouble and god basically tells them to stop fussing and to make lives where they are and he says build homes plant gardens raise a family and work for the good of the place where you are don't listen to get quick quick you know get rich quick schemes you know you're going to have to do the hard work yourself um, but I'm here, keep talking to me, I'm listening to you, I've got this. And there's that great verse about, like, I have a plan for you, right, that everybody pulls out when something goes bad, like, that's our favorite platitude, right. right? And it's like, actually, the that's the plan. The plan is to make yourself at home where you are, and yeah. to dig roots of gratefulness, and to sow seeds of nourishment for your community, and to do all those things, which go really hand in hand with the practices of, of Benedictine monastic practices, which is all about staying where you are um, being called to a geographical location, as well as a group of people um, doing the hard work, preferring others, right? Like it's a lot of the same sort of thing. And so we took a year as a family and tried to live into all of those, those commandments and Jeremiah and those Benedictine um, values. And we tried to live into them in the garden and the repairing of the house we didn't want. Um, we, we were in a house we didn't want to be in and we were letting it fall apart around us instead of fixing it. So we were trying to save money for the house we did want. Um, and so we really like, we got involved in a, a local church. We took care of our city. Like we just tried to live into each of those things. My husband and I learned to get along better. Like, <laughs> 
we practiced mutual mutual listening in the kitchen because we had never been able to cook together without like like killing each other and so like we learned how to like so there was just so there was a lot of that and so the first part of the book is me telling about how everything fell apart and how I was being a brat um and all the fits I threw and so it's really funny like you know you just <laughs> want to laugh at me and my ridiculousness and then the the last three-fourths of the book are just how we tried to live that out and I just feel like that's the moment we're in like this is where you are take care of your home take care of the community whether it's people in your home or just people you love right like your friends and plant your gardens <laughs> we're all about you know plant yep. your container garden plant your window box plant your garden garden um do what's good for your city wear your face mask right like all these Thank sorts you. of things um yeah <laughs> no just just yeah. do it just do yeah it. just wear the mask <laughs> it's okay it's, you are free to choose to wear the mask um yeah so so that's that's at home in this life and um i actually just rewrote out those commandments and put them on our fridge mm. um because even though i wrote the book i still need to remember to live it yeah, yeah. <laughs> well we want to we want to um certainly come come to a conclusion and be respectful of of your time and really grateful for the conversation um and you know we always end with hope and one of the places i already i already hear hope from you is that our, that, that this moment is not a hopeless moment. Mm-hmm. Um, this moment is helping us discover some things. And also I hear a, a note of hope for the church that in a time where we consistently hear about decline and degradation in our faith communities, like there's stuff that's tucked in back in these dusty corners of our faith traditions that are super unbelievably relevant for this moment. And so, um, and to hear you talk about it from a monastic perspective is particularly interesting to me. We'll have to, we'll have to do this again and just go full monk um, on, ah, uh, on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but so I, I, I just want to say thank you for encouraging us and for bringing us some hope. What is it that is bringing you hope as we, as we bring this interview to a conclusion? Yeah. Um, I think, well, you've heard them a lot today is the chickens and um, this last little bit. So really when all this, when all of this started happening, um, I just literally started looking outside and saying, okay, the birds are still singing. Mm-hmm. Our chickens are still laying eggs and we've actually hatched six baby chicks during mm-hmm. Corona time. Um, the, the, the trees budded out. It went from winter to spring here and mm-hmm. hopefully it will do that everywhere eventually. Um, you know, like I just, so, so that's, it's, I know it sounds trivial. It's that whole, you know, even the birds, do I not take care of the birds? I take care of the birds. The birds have food. It's going to be okay. And so what has given me the greatest hope right now is just that nature is soldiering on. She's doing her thing. And we've never had more than one chicken go broody, which means they're going to have babies. Um, they, they want to be mothers. Not every chicken wants to be a mother. Um, and that, um, we've had, we've never had more than one go broody at a time. And we've had three go broody this year. And that gives me hope in the sense of it's regenerative, like that nature is going, she's stepping up. She knows we're hurting. Um, and she's doing her thing. Like Mm -hmm. even the animals know something's off and they're doing their part. Um, and that has just given me so much hope when it seems like humans are doing a lousy job. (laughs) I'm like, okay, the chickens are good. They're happy. They're making babies. Um, and, and so I think looking outside myself, looking outside the things that I have illusions of control over, um, and looking at, at how nature is still singing God's praises is what's given me hope. Thank you for that. I, uh, you know, it's interesting thinking about good news gardens and how it's like this proclamation news, but also it is one of the things that is preaching the gospel to me right now. I mean, one of the, the one of the few ways that I feel like I can escape kind of this like overcoming anxiety and just the kind of impending doom feel (laughs) is to get out in the garden or to work with the little plants or to be out in nature, go on a walk that is. And I just feel like it's one of the ways God has been feeding me and comforting me and caring for me in this time is, is through that hope in the natural world. And I, Mm -hmm. 
it, I love how reciprocal it is, right? How it goes, it goes, it goes both ways. And as we engage that, it can engage us. Um, wait, Sam, you want to say something I can tell? Oh yeah, I do. I mean, I just, I, I, I love this notion of hope. I mean, with your chickens, cause I mean, folks are like, what's keeping you sane pastor? Cause I'm in a brand new call. I did six oh, weeks wow. and then we went on, we went on shutdown. And I said, the thing that is keeping me, keeping me sane are the little baby pigs. We farrowed our first litter this year. And, you know, and, and, and so w- when you start talking about chickens being mothers and I'm thinking about this, this new sow that we have and what a sweetheart she is and how much we love these babies and just watching them grow, you know, like we still buy feed, we feed them, we walk them every day. It's, and there's joy all over the place. It's yeah. just there just by doing the work, just show up and do the work and joy has a way of bubbling up right out of the ground. And so, and whether that's a garden, whether that's sourdough bread, whether that's pigs and chickens, um, Thank you, Anna, for noticing. I'm like, this is, I'm like, I am, I am, I am feeling passionate today. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm like, it's not Sam's turn, but I think he wants to get in <laughs> to this conversation. <laughs> talking animals. I'm so excited. I know. It's great. It's great. I'm like, let me talk about the seedlings. And Sam likes, let me talk about the pigs. It's hey, good. Pigs. We've got it all covered. Got it all covered. <laughs> um, and your pigs are still babies. So they're still little and cute. Um, so, depends on what you mean by baby at this point. <laughs> like 125 pounds, that's plenty. Yes, I guess they, yeah, there you go. Well, we expect to see more pictures of them on, you know, Instagram and such. Yeah. Well, Jerusalem, thank you so much for spending time with us today and for sharing your stories with our listeners. And um, if people want to get in touch with your work, will you just tell us your book titles again? Let us know how we can become Good News Garden. Um, participants, members, evangelists, whatever term, um, and all of your blog and all social media and such. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can find me on every social platform as Jerusalem Greer. Instagram is where I'm most active um, and post lots of pictures of the farm and things there. Um, My blog is JerusalemGreer.com. I post infrequently, but there is like a decade of backlogs to keep you busy if you're interested. Um, My uh, books are at Home in This Life and A Homemade Year, and they're available everywhere books are are sold. Um, And you could just put my name in or those titles and find them easily. And then if you want to know more about evangelism in the Episcopal Church, you can email evangelism at episcopalchurch.org. Um, and I can send you links to the form to sign up for Good News Gardens. We will have a web page eventually, but I don't have a URL for that yet. Um, but uh, you could just email that or go to EpiscopalChurch.org evangelism um, dash initiatives. And you can find it all there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time. Say hi to the rooster for us or roosters. Nice. And um, the roosters and we look forward to continuing to be in conversation with you over time thank you so much it's been wonderful thanks for listening to the food and faith podcast our collaborators are wake forest university school of divinity plain song farm garden church and the keep until and the music is by paul deemer follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on facebook at food and faith podcast Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.